It's critical that you learn to make disciples based in God's word alone. And if you start teaching your opinion or what you heard from your friend or whatever else you could think of, you are going to be losing the power of discipleship. So please turn with me to 2 Timothy. Chapter 3. Okay, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We'll read both. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. There are a few important principles that we can draw from this. First, first of all, it's very clear. God's word comes from God. That's what he tells us. So if you want to disciple someone to God, you use God's words, not your own. The next principle that we see is that God's word is crucial for discipleship. We're told that we're given God's word for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. So if you want to make disciples, you use God's word. Finally, we're told that God's word is the heart of effective ministry. We're told that through God's word, you are thoroughly equipped for the work, for the work that God has for you. So let's dig into this passage and learn a little bit about it and how it relates to discipleship. Now as I begin talking about God's word, there's something important that I want to start with. In America, we have a lot of skeptics. And they would say the Bible is no different than the Quran. It's no different than any other book. It's not worth believing. And you can't trust it. You're told this on the TV. By your friends. And even in class. It's, it is not true. Let, let me tell you why you can trust God's word. First of all, you know it's true because of the change in your life. But there, amen. But there are also good reasons to know it's true. 
The Bible is full of prophecy. Prophecy that has been fulfilled. In times of old. And in modern times. Things like Israel becoming a nation in the last days. Prophesied in the Bible. Cyrus was prophesied 150 years before he was born and by name. Daniel prophesied the exact time that Jesus would die for our sins in AD 33. Five, 500 years before it happened. The Bible is prophetic. And that shows us God's fingerprints on His word. The Bible, the Bible is archaeologically accurate. I told you I've been to Thessalonica. What we just talked about, the Thessalonians. You can go to the places the Bible talks about. In, in archaeology, we have evidence for the people it talks about. And not just the important ones. There's archaeological evidence for many, many people in the Bible. Including obscure ones. Two years ago, they found the seal of one of Solomon's 12 deputies. A man, a man that's only mentioned three times in the Old Testament. So you have the archaeological evidence that shows us we're reading true history. The Bible is coherent. Coherent? And what that means is it corresponds with reality. It does not contradict itself. And it is real in your life. Did you know there are only two religions? Did, did you know that? There are only two religions. There are only two religions. Okay, there's the religion that says you can attain salvation by working harder on your own. And of course, that religion has many names. Islam, Buddhism, you could go on and on. But it's the same thing. You are in charge of earning your own salvation. And there's one religion that's different than all the others. The one that says you're a sinner. 
You cannot save yourself. But God loved you so much, He provided a way. I know that's true. And the Bible is the only religious text that gets that. The Bible's translated correctly. In America, they say it's been translated so many times you can't, you don't even know what was written. What they don't understand is there are 24,000 manuscripts that we, that we can read to know exactly what was written. And if you have, if you have access to the internet, you can go to studylight.org. And you can read the Bible in the Hebrew, in the Greek, you can compare translations. Hold your Bibles up with me. Hold them up. Say, this is God's word, how he gave it to us. It has not been changed. And I will believe it. All right. Now there's one more thing that I think is so precious about the Bible. That gives me confidence in it. My degree in college was chemistry. My bachelor's. And what I love about the and having studied science, I love the fact that the Bible is full of science. We could go on and on and on. But the Bible has many, many, many scientific statements that show it is God's word. I don't have a lot of time, but if you want to know, we can talk about it later. So, this is God's word for us. This is what will make true disciples. So, as you make disciples, you need to be committed to using God's word. In our activity that's coming up in just a minute, we will teach you how to use this in one-on-one -on -one discipleship. So, so God's word comes from God. Do you think it's important to hear from God? Um, every single time you read the Bible, you hear from God. You cannot read the Bible and not hear from God. Jesus said in Matthew 4.4, that man will not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. How many of you like to fast? It's good to fast, but it's not pleasant, right? Physically. <laughs> uh, my wife and I fasted a couple weeks ago for five days. 
And at the end of five days, we were like, oh, we just need it. <laughs> you know, you guys fast that hurt. You guys do it even, you guys do it the hard way. <laughs> Is eating important for your health? Jesus says that his word is just as important as the food I eat. Amen. Side note, don't fast from God's word. <laughs> just like after a few days of fasting, you'll be physically very weak. But spiritually strong. If you go a few days without God's word, you'll be physically and spiritually weak. Okay. So God's word comes from God. We don't mix God's word with what's around us. In English, we have a word called syncretism. And it means mixing. So you have some of God's word and some of the other stuff. Do not compromise on God's word. Do not compromise on God's word. Okay. There's a story of a very famous theologian. And he was applying for the university to teach. And they, and they said, Sir, do you stand on God's word? And he said, No, I do not. He said, I stand under God's word. Right? I encourage you to stand under God's word. Submit to God's word. Follow God's word. And teach God's word. Okay. We encourage students with a diagram of a train. Uh, this is a, a diagram that Bill Bright came up with. Who I mentioned. He says, imagine you have a train car with the engine in front. And then a train car in the middle and then the caboose, the end. <laughs> okay, you have a, a train. And you have the part that drives it. And then you have the piece behind it. And then the end. Faith is in the middle. Faith is what you believe. If you put at the front of the train how you feel or your own ideas or your circumstances whenever you feel bad, where does the train go? Right. When you feel good, it's up, and then down, and then up, and then down, and then up. When a good circumstance happens, what happens? How do you feel? Bad circumstance. This is not how we live the Christian life. There's no victory there. 
the Christians, they have all that in the front. And so where, so where does God's word go? So God's word goes in the back. So they say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not doing God's word. I'm doing whatever I feel, and God's word follows behind me. He said, no, as a Christian, you put God's word in the front. You give thanks in every circumstance. And you say, whatever my circumstances, <laughs> I trust that God has a plan. I encourage you, God's word has to be in the front. Okay, so God's word comes from God. Now you must put it into practice. If you read God's word and don't apply it, you will become deceived. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So, if you sit under Bishop John or Pastor Henry or the many other pastors here and you hear God's word and you read God's word but you don't apply it, in a very short time, you'll be deceived. Take God's word and apply it. Okay. Now, this is important in discipleship. If you're always teaching God's word, but not helping the person apply it, they'll become deceived. You know, the Bible also tells us in 1 Corinthians 8.1 that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So we read that God's we read that God's word is crucial for discipleship. Now here's what I'm telling you. It's crucial to teach God's word. But you have to teach the person you disciple to apply God's word in love. It's critical. Okay, so how long does it take to get good fruit from a tree? Take some time, right? You plant a tree, you have to wait some time. Do you have to take care of that tree? Do you have to water it? Do you have to prune it? Do you have to fertilize it? If you want to have good spiritual fruit in your ministry, it will take years of, of fertilizing of God's word, Pruning with, God's word. Pruning with God's word, cutting off the bad branches. Watering with God's word, watering. And then letting God's word produce the fruit. Right? Okay, so God's word comes from God. God's word is crucial for discipleship. 
And God's word is critical to effective ministry. It's, it's at the heart of effective ministry. Okay, so 2 Peter 1, let's go there. 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. It says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Second Peter 1, 3 through 4. So God's word is the heart of effective ministry. And his promises are the source of everything you need for life and godliness. God's word is the fuel for the fire of ministry. And if we get away from God's word, it's not okay. So we need God's word. So I'm going to teach you right now a very, a very simple approach to studying God's word. And when you disciple the five people that you put on your list, and hopefully many more, we're going to give you 18 appointments for basic discipleship and another 18 for discipling a young leader and for each of these appointments you're going to have several passages, four or five passages. And for each of these passages, you will sit down and use this approach with the person you're discipling. In doing this, you're laying a foundation for the disciple, but you're teaching them to study God's Word, which is critical. Okay, so here are the three steps. If you're taking notes, write these down. The first step is you, you read the passage and make observations. So you look at the big picture. You'll ask things like, what is it talking about? Who's writing it? Who are they talking to? What is the context? 
Read the passage in the book to see the context. You'll ask the who, what, why, when, and how questions. And just write down notes. It's very simple. Then after this, you'll ask another question, the second step. What does this mean? Because it means something. When my, when, when my wife writes me a note, does she want me to read it however I want it to, whatever, whatever I want it to mean? No. <laughs> she wants me to read it how she meant it. <laughs> so when, when you look at the passage and all the observations ask what is God saying here what does this mean then the third step very simple application how do I apply this? So what you'll do in discipleship is you sit down with this person, try each week if not more often, take your appointment, a list of passages, read the first passage, and then just do those three steps with them. But have them do it. Don't just come up with all the answers. Let them think about God's word. Let them wrestle with it. So say, what are some observations? What does it mean? And then you ask, how can you apply this in your life this week? And they'll write something down. And then you go to the next passage. And you do the same thing. The next passage, you do the same thing. Okay, so next week when you meet with the young disciple, you say, remember the applications that you wrote down last week? What happened when you applied those in your life? I promise you God will be changing that person. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. So many times we, we want to make a disciple, we want them just to act like a good Christian. But that's, that's very different than seeing their heart changed by God. So you take the young disciple to God's word. You help them study God's word. You help them apply God's word. And they will be transformed. And the word... And the word transform there is the Greek metamorpho, is the root word for the English word metamorphosis, which is what happens when a butterfly turns from a caterpillar to a butterfly. 
That's, a, that's an incredible change. It used to be a, a worm that walked on the ground. And now a beautiful butterfly that has the gift of flight. That, that same kind of change will happen in the young believer as they grow in God's word. Okay. So remember, God's word is critical for ministry and it's critical for discipleship. As you apply this in your ministry, we're going to give you these appointments that you'll use this process with. And this will be key to making disciples. But my conclusion is that the most important thing again it's your heart for God. Do you love God? Then you'll love His Word. It's that simple. And in America, we have a statement. You will never respect God more than you respect His Word. If you never spend time with His Word, that's a mirror that shows your heart. So as, as we talk about using God's word, I implore you to love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And to love His word. Amen. Amen.